Um, he is a very blessed man. He went to James Roos High School, I believe. And, and the, the biggest description I understand of this man is that he was a nerd at James Roos High School. <laughs> That's a big deal. So uh, please, please, <laughs> that sounded insulting. I'm, I apologize, brother. So I'd like to invite my brother up. Please give, make him feel welcome, please, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> so um, could you please, uh, your name, please, sir? Uh, my name is Jeff Folland. Okay. Uh, I've and known some people here in church for quite a while through student life days. I only met Joe, uh, as he said, recently. But I must say, one thing I appreciate about Joe, he is like the friendliest man I know. Do you agree? Like, isn't he it's just an incredible blessing? <laughs> I'll ask you to leave now, but uh, yeah, I can't. It's all downhill after that. It's all downhill. So, if you don't mind, so student life days. How long have you been involved in ministry? Uh, this is my twenty-fifth year. Twenty-fifth year, and yep. was it always with universities? Or what? Correct. Yeah. So uh, I started at Macquarie University back in nineteen ninety-five. And is that uh, where you met Aaron? Yes, that's uh, that's Where's right. Aaron? Back when I met wherever he's hidden, hiding now, and. Uh, Yep, and so met him there, and most of the students uh, from that era were, uh, you know, the people I know here at church. Uh, I finished as uh, team leader there in 2008, moved into a state director role, and then back in 2014, 13, I took over leading our Sydney Uni team. Okay, so my question is, uh, student director role, and now on the front lines, which do you prefer? Uh, it's kind of interesting. People say I'm a better field general than I am a desk general. Yeah. I'd say that's a compliment. Yep. I, yeah. Most people think that way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, just because, and, and what that's I've right. met of you and mm. the giftedness, how God, basically it suits you and your giftings mm. and how you relate, because uh, although I may be the friendliest person you've met, um, you are very friendly as well. Please <laughs> don't, don't, yeah. But that, that means nothing because it came after you already complimented yeah. me. So. Okay, so I guess then, I guess then um, are you from a Christian home? Yeah, so I grew up, uh, I say I've been going to church since before I was born. And uh, I grew up going to Epping Gospel Chapel on Carlingford Road, and uh, it was there up until uh, sort of the end of 1999, and then 1st of January 2000, Liz and I moved to our current church. We meet at, uh, we go to Community Life Church at Cherrybrook, which meets in the high school there. Okay, so my final question for you then mm. is, when then, because usually when people are raised in Christian homes, mm. there's usually at some stage, like they have yep. a relationship with Jesus, but at some stage where it becomes their own, it becomes personal. That's right. And where it's no longer their parents' faith, it's no longer going right. through, the, or even just the religiosity of going That's through right. emotions. When did it become real for you, and what happened? You know, I was such a squeaky clean church kid that I think uh, <laughs> I grew up uh, hearing the Bible taught, and I saw it lived out in my parents' lives. And I think for the first time, the first time I remember was like when I was about eight years old. And I said, yeah, this is for me. Uh, but it was only uh, when I hit my teenage years, it was like several times along, I, I said to God, you know, if I didn't really pray that prayer back when I was eight, like, I, I still mean it. Like, I I'd really want to be following you. So that's why you know, I was so squeaky clean that, you know, I didn't, you know, I was at school and I never got invited to the sort of parties that, people get in trouble at. Um, I remember I, I got offered my first cigarette when I was actually working as an accountant. I was like, man, I'm 20 years, 21 years old or something, and that's the first time someone's ever offered me a cigarette. I had no, no hope of going off the rails. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> praise God, praise God. But see, what's really exciting is that you don't have to. No, that's right. You don't have that's to, right. and that's what's really cool. Is there's there's a, another preacher by the name of Dave Reeve, and he says, I, I saw nothing wrong with following the rules. Yep. I've found nothing wrong with doing what's right. Yep. Yeah. And so you're, that's a great testament of God's goodness and grace in your life to be able to do that. So yep. I don't think it's anything to be afraid of or ashamed of. I no, think that's no. really exciting. No. 
So if you don't mind, I'll pray for your brother. That'd be great. We're all excited to hear what the Lord has burned thank your heart. Thank you so with. much. Father, I thank you so much for our brother Jeff. Thank you for the way you have worked within his life, even from as an eight-year-old. Uh, Father, that he was a man that had a heart for you, and you drew him closer and closer. Every year he grew older. So, Father, we thank you for him now and for the service that he has provided, not only within universities, but even to the various churches he gets to minister to. We thank you for the blessing of having us hear your word preached through your servant this morning. Please anoint him with your spirit. Use him as your mouthpiece for your glory and for the edification of your saints. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Thanks, brother. Thank you so much, Joe. You know, my son, my oldest son, is uh, doing the HSC at the moment. And uh, he's not stressed. He doesn't need the HSC. He wants to head off to join the army. So uh, it's the least stressed. Yeah, I'm a James Roos kid. I don't understand doing the HSC and not being stressed, right? But for him, it doesn't matter. Um, but it does reflect, remind me of uh, my own life back uh, when I did the HSC in 1987 and then headed to uni. And uh, one of my leaders at church said to me, uh, when you get to university, you've, you've got to find a Christian group. So many young Christians lose their faith when they head to university. So find a Christian group. It'll help you, uh, you know, stay safe in the university environment. And I turned up uh, at the beginning of my time on campus and uh, student life as it was then, power to change now. Uh, someone approached me, uh, asked me to fill in a quiz. It was sort of my first day on campus. I remember feeling really awkward. I didn't know how to dress. You know, I turned up with a tie and, you know, <laughs> I was like, that didn't last very long. Um, <laughs> I felt really out of place. Yeah, again, squeaky clean, right? Uh, this is you know, a whole new world for me. And, uh, and so I was like, oh, this is a Christian group. Yeah, I'll sign up. And, and so I got involved right from the beginning of my time at uni. Um, what I didn't realize was that Student Life was not a group, a Christian group that was designed to keep me safe. It's a mission organization equipping me to change the world. And so Power to Change has been uh, a transformational experience for me and for me over the last 25 years, so much so that for 25 years uh, I've been serving with Power to Change. My wife Liz has been serving uh, with our, our organization for 35 years. So, uh, you know, I won't go into the distracting story of how we met and all the amazing things that God did, but it's been a privilege to serve with Liz and uh, alongside Liz uh, for well, a long time now, 20 plus years as marriage. So 22 and a half years of marriage. I got to get that right, don't you? Tip there for you, Kenny. It always <laughs> me. <laughs> uh, but I want to start by, uh, I want to look today with you at the Great Commission. So uh, it's been about, uh, as I said, about 30 uh, odd years since I got involved in Power to Change. And we're an organization that globally is committed to helping fulfill the Great Commission. And, uh, and so whenever I come to a church and I get invited to speak and they don't give me a topic, you know, uh, last week I was preaching and they said, oh, 1 Corinthians 8 and 9. I was like, okay, that's fun. Um, before that, I was preaching uh, Psalm 46. But if you give me a chance, I'm going to talk Great Commission. Uh, one of the things about being involved in our organization is uh, you cut us and we bleed Great Commission. And, uh, and so we're going to have a look at Matthew chapter 28, uh, verses 16 to 20. Uh, in a... Uh, in a few weeks' time, I've been invited to Orlando to our global headquarters to hang out with about 40 other leaders from around the world, from places as far apart as Portugal and Brazil, Ghana and Kazakhstan. And we're talking about our global priorities over the next uh, five to ten years. And uh, it's a real privilege. But the thing I love about being able to gather with people from all these different places is that we're all committed to help and fulfill the Great Commission. And so... 
Uh, so let me read, to you, read for you verses uh, 16 to 20 of Matthew chapter 28. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. You know, uh, after 30 years of involvement in Power to Change, talking endlessly about the Great Commission, hearing people talk about the Great Commission, it was about uh, seven or eight years ago that I was doing a series of talks and I was doing some research and I learnt something new. You sort of go, is there anything more that you can learn about the Great Commission? And what I realised uh, as I studied it was that it's not just a few verses tacked on to the end of Matthew's Gospel. Like, so often we read the Great Commission as if it's a standalone passage. It's like, you know, the whole story of Jesus builds up to his uh, death and resurrection, and then we kind of go, oh, and as an afterthought, he kind of gave the Great Commission. Um, I agree that the death and resurrection of Jesus is the climax of the story, but I would argue that the Great Commission is the natural conclusion to the story of the life and ministry of Jesus. And we see this because there's a number of threads, themes, ideas that run like, that weave their way like a web through Matthew's Gospel that get drawn neatly together in a bow in the Great Commission. Uh, I've identified 12. There's scholars who uh, come up with all sorts of different lists, uh, but here's the 12 that I have. Uh, the idea of Galilee, it's a ministry center in Matthew's Gospel that Jesus, uh, where Jesus ministers over and over again, even though he did ministry in Judea, and we know from John's Gospel he did it um, in different places, the focus is on Galilee. Uh, the words, the idea of mountains, a mountain scene comes up over and over again in Matthew. You think about the Mount of Transfiguration, the Sermon on the Mount, here you've got the Great Commission is given on the Mount, and that sort of ties into a bit of a Moses motif as well. The worship of Jesus the uh, worship of Jesus is a theme that runs through Matthew's Gospel. The idea of faith, the word faith appears 31 times in, in uh, Matthew's Gospel. Twice, Jesus is amazed at people's great faith, uh, a Gentile centurion and a Gentile Canaanite woman. And four times, he rebukes his own disciples for their lack of faith. Uh, but here, it's expressed in the Great Commission in the idea that they saw him and they worshipped him, but some doubted or hesitated. And that, the Greek word behind hesitated appears in only one other place in, uh, in the New Testament, and that's in Matthew chapter 14, where Peter's on the water and he doubts, he hesitates. Uh, Jesus' authority is a theme in Matthew's Gospel, and here in the Great Commission, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Um, the theme of making disciples. Jesus has been making disciples for 28 chapters, and suddenly now he commissions his disciples to make disciples disciples. Uh, the idea of nations and Gentiles, uh, baptism, the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, uh, the teaching to obey. We know Matthew's got five great teaching blocks. Uh, and the end of the, you know, the first one, Matthew, the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapters 5 to 7, you know, Jesus' great manifesto of teaching finishes with a little parable. Do you remember what the parable is at the end of the Sermon on the Mount? It's the wise man who builds his house on the rock and the foolish man who builds his house on the sand. Do you know what the difference is between the wise man and the foolish man? Both of them hear Jesus' teaching. The wise man puts into practice. The foolish man doesn't. Uh, so Jesus is interested not just in teaching, but in teaching to obey. Uh, Jesus 
his ongoing presence, and even the word all recurs multiple times in, the great, in Matthew's Gospel. And so I realized that Matthew's Gospel weaves all these threads together and that uh, it comes to a natural conclusion in the, great, in the Great Commission. And I realized that Matthew's been telling us a story where he's been trying to lead us to the point where he's treating us like Jesus' disciples. And he's getting to the end of uh, his story of the life and ministry of Jesus. And he wants to commission us just as Jesus has commissioned his disciples. The Great Commission is the natural result of following Jesus. It's not an add-on. It's not um, something that's special for just a few people. This is the natural thing for everyone who follows Jesus to be involved in. And the key question is, if we're looking at the Great Commission, what is the the thing that that Jesus is commissioning us to do? And the main command, does anyone know what the main command is in the Great Commission? It's not the word go, it's the word make disciples. The word make disciples. We know that Jesus has been making disciples in the original Greek. uh, It's the only verb in the imperative. I'll throw a bit of Bible college stuff at you just to keep you on your toes. Most of you are, you know, anyway, won't go there. Um, (laughs) Capable of handling it. Most uh, make disciples of all nations is the command. Jesus is is commanding us to make disciples. That's the primary goal that he has has been building up to, that Matthew has been building us up to as we've been reading the Great Commission. And when I think about... uh, the, the commissioning to make disciples of all nations, uh, Jesus is telling his disciples to do exactly what's, you know, with others, exactly what he's done with them. And we are being commissioned to do for others what has been done for us. That each generation of disciples is responsible for raising up uh, the next generation of disciples. Uh, on campus, you know, we see students turning over every three, four or five years. And so the pressure on us is on us to raise up that next generation. If we're going to have students who are making disciples on campus, who are believers, who are making disciples, then we need to make sure that we do that every year. Sometimes I think in church we can get a little bit lazy. You know, the generational turnover is not three, four or five years. It can be eight, 10, 15, 20 years. And so it's like, oh, if we miss a year where I'm not really focused on making disciples, well, you know, I don't feel it immediately. But you will feel it down the track. So the question is, how do we make disciples? Jesus is telling us, make disciples of all nations, but how do we make disciples? Well, the good news is that he tells us how in the Great Commission itself, and there's three words in the Great Commission that... In the, you know, I learned a little bit of grammar when I was at Bible college. I had to learn grammar at Bible college to be able to study Greek. I didn't know English grammar before that. Um, that was something that they never taught me at James Roos. And uh, can I, yeah, I spent most of my time in science and economics, and you know, I did general English maths for the HSC. I mean, general English for the HSC. So I was much more of a maths and science guy. Um, but I learned grammar. Uh, English grammar in order to be able to study Greek grammar. And so I learned that there are three participles in the Great Commission that are the steps that Jesus gives us for making disciples. And so as we go through these steps, you might ask yourself the question, where am I at in this process? And what is it that, uh, what's the next step that I need to make, to take personally uh, as I am making disciples? And the first participle, and you can recognize a participle in English often because it 
it finishes with the letters ing. The word ends with the words with the letters ing. And so the first ing word uh, after the word after the command to make disciples in the Great Commission is baptizing, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And uh, it's always interesting coming to a new church and saying baptizing is the first step of making disciples. Uh, you know, because there are quite a range of different views. I did uh, glance at the the uh, banner out the front with uh, the position on baptism for this church as as I walked in, and uh, and it's very clear. I think that it's a believing believing baptism church. So it's pretty easy, right? Uh, when does somebody get baptized? When they become a believer. Now, if we're supposed to help people get to the point of being ready to be baptized, what's, the, what's our responsibility in that? There's a kind of an English jargon word that we often throw around. Evangelism, right? So the first step in making disciples is sharing the gospel with someone to the point where they'll understand it enough that they can commit their lives to following Jesus and at that point they'll be ready to be baptized. Like the baptism is the line in the sand of someone uh, marking, marking the line of the sand where they come from unbelief into belief, right? They're being uh, here in the Great Commission. Jesus has baptized them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They're being baptized as a public identification with the triune God and, I believe, with his church. And so baptism is that, uh, that identification, that marker that someone has chosen to follow Jesus. And so when I'm thinking about our ministry on campus, I'm thinking, how do I create opportunities to engage people who are far from God in a way that allows them to come to understand the gospel and decide whether or not they want to follow Jesus, right? I never want to pressure people to do something that they don't want to do, but I want to entice them, I want to draw them to come and hear the gospel, to hear the good news that Jesus has died for them on their, in their place and that they can surrender their lives to him. And, uh, and so we do this in evangelism and sort of what I'd like to label as pre-evangelism. You know, you've got a gingerbread night coming up. Um, I'm guessing you're hoping that there are people who are going to come to this who aren't regulars at church, perhaps people who don't know who Jesus is. And I don't expect, I'd be surprised if you gave a really strong gospel presentation on the night, right? Maybe you will. Uh, maybe it's an appropriate thing to do, but more likely, I've seen many churches using gingerbread house nights as a way of kind of building relationships, building friendships, and through those friendships, and as people experience Christian community, suddenly they, they become curious about what is it that holds this group of people together? What is it that, that shapes the way that they, they think and the way they behave? How does it shape their, uh, their behavior, their, vi their values, right? The way they treat other people, even when negotiating business deals, right? And, uh, and so they go, oh, I, I need to learn, I want to learn more about that. And perhaps they'll sit there and think about it until somebody says, hey, are you interested in finding out more about Jesus? And then they, if they say yes, then you better have an answer as to what the next step is, right? Uh, on campus, uh, famously, uh, Power to Change Student Life have been using Knowing God Personally booklets. Uh, we've been using Christianity Explained courses. Uh, lately, we've introduced a thing called Perspective Cards. Uh, one, of our, one of my student leaders, Danny, uh, I wrote about this in a prayer letter on the, uh, last week. Uh, she's been discipling a, a first-year student, Patricia. Patricia's studying primary education at Sydney Uni. And uh, Patricia, is a, from a Korean background, became a Christian at the beginning of the year through her church 
it was really kind of very baby, shaky sort of understanding of the gospel. And Danny's been meeting with her, helping her grow in her understanding of the gospel and grow in her understanding of her faith and what it means to follow Jesus and been encouraging her to reach out to her classmates. And uh, a, a few weeks ago, uh, um, Patricia said, yeah, I've got two friends who are interested in sort of exploring spiritual things. And so Danny says, I'll turn up and I'll, ta- I'll bring a, one of our packs of perspective cards. You can actually download the app on your phone if you like. Uh, look it up at some point in an app store. Uh, look up perspective cards. And these cards uh, ask questions about, you know, what do you think about who God is? What's the meaning and purpose of life? What's human nature like? What's the, um, uh, who is Jesus? And so Danny turned up uh, to meet Patricia and the two girls, uh, Patricia's two friends, had said, yeah, we're keen, we'll meet up at this time, at 12 o'clock on a Tuesday. And so they turned up to Manning, uh, were sitting in the cafeteria, um, Danny walks in looking for Patricia and her two friends and finds that there's actually 10 girls around the table. Uh, they, they all decide to come for lunch. They weren't necessarily knowing what, what uh, Danny and Patricia had planned. They just turned up. They're all in the same class together. They turned up to have lunch together. And Danny turns up. Patricia welcomes her right down, asks her to sit down. Um, and Danny puts the perspective cards on the table. Instantly, all the eyes are on the... T- what's she put on the table? What's this? And Danny explains that we've got these cards. It's a conversation starter. And all 10 want to be involved in the, the game, right? Um, and so... So they go around the circle, and for each set of cards, which is like the, there's six or eight options on each of the questions, uh, each person shares their viewpoint. And Danny finds out that there's one who's an angry atheist. Uh, a whole bunch of them are kind of postmodern, you know, subjective values. There's no meaning and purpose in life beyond myself, all that sort of thing. Uh, but at the end of the, the discussion, and at, at the end of each round, Patricia gets to share her view, which is the biblical you know, view of the gospel. And, uh, and at the end of the, the, the game, uh, two of the girls suggest that, or agree that they're interested in finding out more, that they want to meet up and read, uh, read a gospel, do Christianity Explained. Um, but a bunch of the others who aren't Christians and who aren't necessarily interested in meeting up are actually re- were really keen to download the app because it was such a fun game they wanted to play it with their friends. I was like, it's got the gospel in there, so go for it, guys, you know. <laughs> um, it's a story about how do we help move people from here to coming to engage with who Jesus is to get to the point where they can decide, yes, I want to follow Jesus. The second step in making disciples uh, is the second ING word, which is the word, those of you who are reading your Bibles, what's the second word, ING word, after make disciples? Baptizing and then teaching. Yeah, we all think it's teaching, right? It's not just teaching, it's teaching to obey. Um, Jesus knows that uh, he's interested when it comes to making disciples, just not just in passing on information. He wants to have teaching that leads to life transformation, right? So often we have thought about our church, uh, our engagement with church as we turn up and you guys are all really passive. So most of you are doing a good job staying awake. Um, but uh, whether, you actually, whether you actually experience life transformation as a result of anything I say this morning, it's not guaranteed, is it? I'm, you know, I've, I spent four years uh, studying accounting and computer science at uni. I graduated. I went and worked for one of the big four accounting firms. And the partner, when I walked in the door, knew exactly what I was good for, which was photocopying and making coffee, because I knew nothing about how to actually do accounting. I'd spent hours sleeping in lecture theatres, right? Uh, 
most of you have had that, that same experience. It's not a big group environment like this. You can learn information and it'll help you think about life better, but it's not going to lead to life transformation unless you have a way that you can start putting things into practice. You can get someone to coach you, mentor you, or perhaps the more biblical word, disciple you. I like small groups. Small groups are a great place where you can have someone prepare a study, turn up, and you can practice talking about the topic, not just sitting and listening passively. But sometimes uh, meeting up one-on-one -on -one with somebody and actually working through personal issues and thinking about having someone who isn't just teaching you what the Bible says, but if you say, oh, I don't know how to have a friend, a friend who's not a Christian and stir up a spiritual interest, then finding someone who has that ability who can actually coach and train you in that. Because the goal is not just um, to, to believe that I should share my faith. You know, I'd grown up going to church uh, and believed that I should share my faith. I tried in high school. It was terrible. Um, my first few months at uni, it was like every new person I met, I was like, oh, so what did you do on the weekends, you know? And, uh, and I ended up in debates about uh, creation versus evolution and liberal versus labor politics. I'm like, how did I get to that, you know? Um, I didn't know, what to t you know how to actually share the gospel. And it was only when a powder change missionary by the name of, Steel, uh, by the name of Neil Dawson uh, took me out and started, you know, we started approaching people. Uh, just on campus, and I practiced sharing my faith, and I became competent at it, and, uh, and I grew in my competence. And so having someone train me, and then having the, the idea of being able to train other people. Uh, and that's the, that's the thing, it's like, uh, Jesus is not interested in just teaching them to obey everything, and as I said, there's five great passages of uh, teaching in Matthew's Gospel. It's teaching to obey Everything, including the command to make disciples. You want to be able to. You want to be able to stir up a spiritual interest. You want to be able to explain the gospel so someone can understand it well enough to make a decision. You want to help someone who's new in their faith get grounded in their faith, and you want to be able to take an apprentice yourself ultimately, so that you can pass it on to the next generation. And we find this that, that idea in the third participle in the Great Commission, which actually comes back at the beginning of verse. Uh, 19. Jesus says, therefore go and make disciples. And the word go is actually a participle. So it's the same as baptizing and teaching. And so some people say, you should translate the word go as going. As you are going, make disciples. Right? Sometimes it gets treated as a command. It's like, um, you need to go. Go overseas and make disciples of all nations. You need to go somewhere else. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, as you are going in your everyday life, take the initiative to make disciples. Don't sit back and wait for people to come to you. You need to go to them. You need to figure out. You've got a friend. You've got a colleague. You've got a neighbor who doesn't know Jesus. Then you need to take the initiative. Don't wait for, don't wait for them to come to you. Uh, but So it's an ongoing process. But he also... Uh, the the grammar guys tell me that it also acts like a command, right? So it's a participle, meaning it's an ongoing exercise. It's not like um, I go here and then I go there. I am here and I go there. And now that I'm there, I'm going to start making disciples. What he says is, um, as you go, but it acts like a command. And it's uh, because it's what they call the priority at the beginning of the sentence and it's proximity to the main command. 
So it derives imperatival force <laughs> um, by, by its priority at the beginning of the sentence and its proximity to the com main command. And so it acts like a command, but it's not just a command you fulfill once. It's a command you fulfill in an ongoing way. And so the third step of going and making disciples is that uh, wherever you go, whatever you do, make disciples. You don't have to be a power to change missionary. You don't have to be a pastor. You don't have to go overseas to make disciples. We can do that right here. Uh, and what's holding us back sometimes is that we don't think we know what to do. I don't know how to stir, stir up a spiritual interest in someone that I've met. I don't know if they, uh, I'm terrified if they say they're interested in finding out more. I don't know how to share the gospel with them, right? Or if I meet someone who's a baby Christian, brand new believer, and they've got issues. I was like, I, I don't know what sort of things I should cover. Maybe uh, you're thinking, oh, I've been a Christian for a long time. I should be helping other people, but I don't know how to mentor and disciple somebody else. Think about where you're at in the process, because for me, the word go represents not someone who goes somewhere else, but someone who's ready to take the initiative. They feel competent and equipped. They're not waiting for somebody else to tell them how to do it. And sometimes we treat this as an individual command. We think discipleship, it's all about one-on-one, -on -one, right? But that's not true. We disciple, Jesus gave the Great Commission to 11 disciples. You know, I love the fact that the Great Commission was given to 11 disciples, not 12. You know, where's Judas? Judas? Judas is gone. Jesus has raised up these 12 leaders, representing the 12 tribes of Israel, representing uh, the completeness of his people, and suddenly they are deeply flawed. They're one short. But he gives the Great Commission to a deeply flawed group of people. And isn't that us? Isn't that us? That he has given the Great Commission to us even though he knows our limitations. Somebody uh, sent me a meme recently. I don't know why they sent it to me, but they said, uh, God has already factored in your stupidity when he called you to mission. I was like, thank you, Lord. <laughs> I needed that. Um, he's not surprised by our inadequacies, but he keeps on calling us to take that next step in following him. And uh, I love the promise at the end of the Great Commission because he says, surely, or look, Behold, I am with you always to the very end of the age. I have a video to show you. Uh, a video of a couple of students who are sharing their testimony of how they've gone through the process at uh, this process at Sydney University. Uh, the first student is uh, a student by the name of Ruel. Uh, he'll tell you his story himself. And uh, Jess uh, is our second. Both students arrived on campus as uh, people who aren't students who weren't Christians, and uh, by the end of their time uh, on campus, they were our student presidents. And so they're, they're kind of my, uh, my poster childs. Um, if any of you were at Borkham Hills High School, you may recognize Jess. So let me finish with the video. Hopefully the tech guys will work it out. Let me know if there's an issue. There we go. Hi, um, well, I'm Ruel. Um, so I'm studying science and arts um, at Sydney Uni, and I'm the president for Power to Change. Yeah, well, I 
my first experience with Power to Change was actually before I went to uni, mm -hmm. and I was um, on a hitchhiking trip um, up to the Gold Coast and back. Mm -hmm. And on one of my stops, I ended up bumping into um, uh, a schoolies mission for Power to Change. Um, and long story short, they were nice enough to let me stay um, with them in their accommodation, and I spent three days, I guess, yeah, being alongside them again to know them. That was kind of my first experience of how to change. I'm Jessica, and I study vet science at Sydney Uni. How far are you? I am at year three, and I'm halfway there. And uh, how did you make how to change? Um, so how to change has these summer project missions every year, and um, I had just graduated high school, and I was just having a holiday at the same location that they had their mission, and yeah, they found me there. Um, a girl called Minji, and yeah, she just talked to me and told me about how to change on campus. Yeah, so I guess when I first met them, I wasn't a Christian and I kind of was really forming my own ideas and kind of felt like I was on the path that I wanted to know, like it was all about meditation and self-improvement and adventure. And yeah, we kind of just parted ways and I continued my hitchhiking trip. But um, I think, yeah, they, they did try to share the gospel to me a couple of times and I had my own response. But I think they were such nice people that, like I... They mentioned that there was a power to change when um, the uni I was going to go to, and so I decided to check it out when I started. Yeah. yeah, so I went to the orientation week, found their stall, did a survey, and said that I was interested in learning about Christianity. Um, yeah, and then they introduced me into this short six week course called Christianity Explained. Mm -hmm. And yeah, so I did that with Minji, and it was really good to cover the foundations of the gospel. Yeah. What was your spiritual background before you arrived? So before I arrived on campus, I had no belief. I, I halfway between atheist and agnostic. Yeah. yeah. So I went up to the stall in a week, and I, um, yeah, I just put my name down. And then a couple of days later, um, one of the staff called me. Who um, was? Oh, Billy. Yeah. So Billy, yeah, called me, and um, yeah, we ended up meeting one on one, and we went through um, Christianity Explained, or we went through Mark's Gospel. And yeah, I think in those times God was really sort of moving in my heart and kind of humbling me and I guess showing my need for Him and the reality of where I was. And so I think it was through, through meeting up with Billy and also through a friend who was invited me to church that um, I came to know Jesus in my first year. It was like small groups, um, like weekly meetings, um, being discipled by Him and I guess growing in ministry skills and in, I guess, in general. And I think, yeah, probably a big thing was like um, doing sold hours, which was like times of outreach and um, I guess evangelism to people around campus. Then I got connected to a church. I started getting involved in Power to Change. Um, I became a student leader, which is really cool. Um, I started learning how to, like, I started learning like grounds of my faith but also how to share my faith which is really scary at first but now I go. I've been part of like a core group which is like a small bible study group that we have on campus. Um, I've been leading that for a couple um, semesters now and yeah I've been seeing people who've come to my core group um, that don't know Jesus and I've been seeing them like progress and put their faith in Jesus or I've seen like people still new in their faith and then learning to share their faith. I've just been seeing the growth of people.